Now, this is Box to Box with Michael Edgeley and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that's everything football. You're with Michael Edgeley and tonight, Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. First edition news with Willem van Dinner in shortly. On this week's program, we'll be catching up with ABC's Tracy Holmes, who will report on the recent Court of Arbitrations for Sports findings that the Asian Football Confederation was guilty of gender discrimination, third-party interference and a denial of justice. We'll discuss with Tracy the implications for Australian football. Then... The A-League's hotting up and we'll speak to Newcastle Jets head coach Craig Deans, who's finally got the top job full-time after standing in three times as an, as an interim coach in his time at the Jets. Then the box-to-box team, including former Notts County pro Dean Hennessy, will break down this weekend's A-League fixtures in the second hour, as we always do. Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matildas Central, thanks to the Green and Gold Army. Then... We'll be joined by former Liverpool defender Stephen Warnock to discuss the Reds' Premier League slide. And just as well, Rob Gilbert's not with us. Then European news with Dino and Derek. And of course, we'll wrap it up with stoppage time and a special look at Barcelona and the crisis engulfing the Catalonian giant. Welcome, Derek. Thank you very much. Uh, In the hot seat for Rob, who is a crook. Uh, but as you know, uh, it's a time, maybe a chance for me to shine off the bench edge. Yes, that's right. You, Rob might not get his spot back, uh, Willem. What do you think? I think, ooh, no, I'll be very careful what I say here. I think Rob will be back, but hopefully soon. Yeah, he does sound quite ill by reports, yeah, so best wishes to him Ill, listening so We won't crack too many jokes, but uh, we, we wish him all the best and a speedy recovery. He's gone down with a mystery illness. But Derek, what's caught your uh, eye this week? Well, I noticed you said off the top, we're going to be talking Barcelona deeper in stoppage time, but they were, of course, uh, mixed up in a, uh, a very epic game against PSG and a big loss for them at home. Kylian Mbappe on the score sheet and that iconic picture of Gerard Piquet trying to pull him back. It's almost like a cartoon character, something from my my, my schoolboy days. But um, yeah, Barcelona, uh, trouble on the pitch and off the pitch edge. Absolutely. Willem, you've got some news. I do, guys. FIFA have appointed Jane Fernandez and Jane Patterson as Chief Operation Officers for the 2023 Women's World Cup. The new COOs have been leading the tournament officers in their respective countries, Australia and New Zealand, with Fernandez, of course, having been critical in Australia winning the bid in the first place. The pair will now oversee operational aspects of the tournament. Michael, could you please explain and shed a little bit more light on what this new role uh, means and the difference between the old one? Well, congratulations to Jane. She's been an ornament to uh, football in Australia. She's been um, working in the sport for many, many years. Um, I don't want to give away her age and say it's uh, been 20 years, but I think it has been. Um, so Jane obviously led the uh, the FFA's um, World Cup bid, and uh, as a result of uh, the fine performance she did there and all of the experience she's had at major tournaments around the world, she'll step in and lead the Australian arm of the event, which is basically... Uh, four-fifths of the entire event will be in Australia. So uh, she's got a big job to do. And uh, I noticed uh, FIFA, if you're interested in fans out there, um, you want to put your hand up to be the CEO of the Women's World Cup mm-hmm. 2023. FIFA's currently got that position advertised. But but well done to Jane. Uh, thoroughly deserved. And everybody in football who's had the opportunity to, uh, to work a little bit with Jane, I, I know that uh, we're all super proud and happy for you. 
Honing in on Victoria for a second, Kim Ontilia Doris has been appointed Football Vic's permanent CEO, having served in the role on an interim basis for the past six months. Prior to that, Ontilia Doris served as FV's president for six years, overseeing the implementation of their growth strategy program, Football Ways. Michael, a vastly experienced football administrator in the country, going right back to the early days of the PFA. He knows the organisation very well and is now confirmed in the role as a permanent CEO. Yeah, he'll transition from the presidency, won't he? Uh, uh, the Jungle drums were beating uh, when this position was advertised that it was only ever going to go to him. Obviously, he had uh, relationships existing at the board. It seems like a, a, a normal thing uh, that uh, he wanted to do. Um, a few questions about it, but um, he's an expertly experienced administrator, as you said, so I'm sure football in Victoria is in safe hands uh, coming out of the COVID shutdown. Casting an eye to the W League, Brisbane Roar have established themselves as Sydney FC's biggest challenger. Following a 4-1 win last Sunday, they cut the gap at the top of the table to just two points. 17-year-old Jill Miller-Rankin stole the show. She scored twice in the route, which came just three days, Michael, after Brisbane defeated Western Sydney. That was an impressive turnaround to get the six points from two. Ball into the far post. It's spilled by the keeper and Brisbane ahead again. Goodness me. It's tapped in by Jamila Rankin at the far post. One of a couple of moments Jada Wyman in the Sydney FC goal might have wanted back from Sunday, Michael, but Sydney in their favour do have the game in hand uh, as well as a two-point lead. Last week we sat here and said that that lead was looking almost insurmountable given the short W League season, but how things have changed? Yeah, I still think they'll finish top of the table on the basis of who they play in the running uh, to the end of the home and away season. Having said that... um, uh, we were waiting for them to play a good team, and Brisbane's a good, experienced team right down the spine. But one player, who you mentioned, Jamila Rankin, is capturing a lot of people's attention. Uh, not because she's uh, 17 and emerging as a fantastic player, but um, with Seth Catley's injury at Matilda's level, there's a spot opening up at left back. And that normally, when uh, Steph's not been available in that role, has gone to Elise Kalanite, especially in big tournaments like the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup. So the fact that Kalanite is also gone down with an ACL injury means that that spot's wide open. Could a young gun uh, shoot all the way through to Matilda's reckoning? At the moment, she's the form left back. A- Angie Beard, the captain of Melbourne Victory, might uh, might say, come on, Michael, what about me? But uh, Jamila Rankin doing really very well. Looks a likely prospect, Willem. Jamila Rankin and Ellie Carpenter on opposite flanks would be very exciting and possibly one you could lock in for the next 10 to 12 years. To the A-League, Wellington's Luke Devere uh, looks set to miss three months with a knee injury he sustained in last Sunday's loss to the Mariners. He'll have to go under, undergo surgery, Michael, which is a massive blow because Luke's had such a uh, long and, and troublesome injury, a long injury history. Um, but he's displayed his best form since getting to Wellington under Ufak Tale, so it's a real shame that he's uh, going to spend more time on the sidelines. As will, unfortunately, Adelaide's Nathan Constantopoulos, who's undergone uh, surgery on his knee, having torn his other ACL, so just a year ago uh, since he first did his ACL. Seven games and two goals he's played since the comeback, so that's a massive shame. They've signed Josh Cavallo as a replacement. Yeah, injuries to any player is uh, is a difficult thing, uh, but when you've got repeat injuries and long-term ones, they are soul-destroying, not only um, for the player going through that journey, but also uh, friends and family and teammates, and it can actually have a real impact on on a club. So to both those players and their clubs, we wish them a speedy recovery and, and hopefully uh, they can put these injuries behind them. Eight English football leaders have sent a letter to Facebook and Twitter CEOs Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey demanding tougher action on perpetrators of online abuse. The 
The letter lambasts the platforms as havens for abuse, stating inaction allows perpetrators to feel beyond reach. Those involved include Premier League's Richard Masters, the FA's Richard Bullingham and the PFA's Gordon Taylor, amongst others. Derek, it does feel that the tide is turning on this issue just sort of globally, but how much of an impact do you think this will have? These guys are obviously massive names in the English game, but not so much on a world scale. Yeah, quite a lot in Mark Zuckerberg's uh, inbox at the moment mm. to deal with, and he probably doesn't know who these people are that, exactly, are, uh, yeah. that are talking to him. But look, I think that the social media platforms have to play a role a role in this. Clearly, they're providing the medium for, for the, uh, the racist abuse to take place. But it's clearly a total system solution that is required you know it's the clubs obviously and the clubs have worked very hard with organizations like kick it out it's the fa it's the premier league it's the government it's a cancer in our game and i just don't think without a coordinated effort with education at the starting point yes we can cut off the supply for the racist comments but on i mean they'll just pop up somewhere else so i think you've actually got to educate people first and a final one coming back locally, Michael. Ryan Grant has raised over $20,000 for the Leukemia Foundation, shaving his world-famous mullet for the world's greatest shave. So rest in pe- peace, the mullet. It was glorious in its day. It's gone for a good cause. We just hope he continues to get selected for the Socceroos because I think it spanned the length of his national team career. And, of course, that fantastic story going back to the 2019 Asian Cup where he had to get, I think, government consideration to be allowed to uh, wear that around the streets of the UAE. Yeah, yeah, I saw his uh, head, what it looked like after it uh, had been shaved off. I think he wants to grow it back, but uh, well done to Ryan, raising money uh, for cancer, I think it was, wasn't it, Will? Yeah, look, hear me, I saw it through the world's greatest shave. Yeah, well done, uh, Ryan, Uh, a fantastic effort. Uh, Good good start by Willem and Derek, Uh, first edition news, we always enjoy that. After the break, we'll be talking to ABC's Tracy Holmes on the Court of Arbitration for Sports, damning findings against the Asian Football Confederation. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box. Uh, The Court of Arbitration for Sport has found the Asian Football Confederation, of which Football Australia is a member guilty of discrimination against female candidates, guilty of third-party interference in violation with AFC and FIFA statutes, and guilty of a denial of justice. To discuss these shocking revelations, we welcome the host of ABC's popular ticket program and podcast, Tracy Holmes. Welcome, Tracy. Great to have you back on Box to Box. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, you're most welcome. Tracy, uh, why don't we start um, just explaining... Uh, who uh, Miriam Muhammad is and um, the central role that she's played in uh, in prosecuting this uh, these uh, issues at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. First and foremost, she'd have to be described as uh, one very brave woman who stood up to very powerful forces um, where other people have not. Uh, so she was a former Maldivian footballer and a coach. And um, she nominated for one of the five seats which are designated for women on the executive committee of the AFC uh, that also had the potential to go on to be the sole female member of the region for FIFA's council. Um, And the other 
key person in this scenario, uh, probably a name that is familiar to some of your listeners, world sport power broker Sheikh Ahmad Al-Fahad Al-Sabah. He's known in sports circles, both the IOC and FIFA as the kingmaker. He's been crucial in collecting votes and um, making sure they go to whoever he has given his backing to in order to become um, president and, and senior people in, in some of these very influential organisations in world sport. He certainly has, and he's got a, a, a sort of a list of, um, well, not so much prize, but there is all sorts of conjecture around his behaviour at Olympic level and in football. And he's been named in uh, the US dispatches around all the FIFA issues that uh, came about with uh, the dismissal of Blatter and Volker. Um, so he's actually resigned from all these football positions. But um, Miriam uh, Muhammad alleges that... Uh, that, uh, which has now been proven, that he tried to bribe her to withdraw her candidacy for one of these vacant positions on the AFC. Can you take us through the evidence there and, and what actually transpired? Yeah, sure. So she turned up for um, the the vote was going to be held. She said that ahead of getting there, she had had a, had a lot of support from many of the members of the AFC and was feeling really confident. When she arrived in Kuala Lumpur, where the vote was going to take place, and this is back in 2019, she was surprised to notice that a lot of the delegates had stopped wanting to talk to her in public, um, told her that they would only meet with her in private, and then she got this invitation to go and meet with some people to discuss her candidature. When she arrived in the room, there were four or five people there, one of whom was Sheikh Ahmad, who said to her uh, that she was to withdraw her nomination. If she didn't, she would never work in football again. If she did, she'd be rewarded with a position either in the AFC uh, or perhaps even at FIFA. Um, she said she was not going to accept that what was described and, and considered in the Court of Arbitration for Sport to be basically um, behaviour that is akin to bribes and threats. She didn't accept that. Um, not surprisingly, she didn't get elected. <laughs> she failed to get the necessary numbers, even though she thought she had them before she had arrived. Um, she asked the AFC to investigate this through their ethics committee. They declined to investigate it, so she took it to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. And in order to actually have her case there, she had to prove that um, it could actually look into this jurisdiction. Um, they decided they could, then they looked at this and they agreed to accept her evidence. The AFC didn't put forward any evidence to dispute what Mariam was saying, and um, pretty damningly, you know, these three counts that you detailed in the introduction found against the AFC, the only count that didn't go in her favour was she was asking for the election to be redone. So the 2019 election to be declared null and void and, and to have it reset. The Court of Arbitration for Sport said uh, they had no jurisdiction to order that. Um, that was up to the AFC. Uh, on the recommendations of their ethics committee. Uh, and of course, no surprise, there's been no movement on that front. Tracy, have you heard any response from Australia uh, as a member of the Confederation? And what role do you think Australia could play in this and what kind of pressure can they put on? Because they're going to host the World Cup in 2023. Australia's going to be the centre of the women's game and surely they've got to take a stand on this. 
You would think so, wouldn't you? So Chris Niku, who is the chairman of Football Australia, is on this executive committee of uh, the Asian Football Confederation. Um, it, it would be a very difficult position, but given that, uh, you would think there is the backing of FIFA. You would think there is even the backing of the AFC that is using the Women's World Cup in their own region in 2023 uh, to promote the women's game. We know Gianni um, Infantino has given a, a lot um, of push to women's sport. He's injected more funds into the women's game. Uh, he said that uh, the future of the sport is women. That's where a lot of the growth is going to be. So there are all these words <laughs> that, that we know and hoped had a lot of meaning, but um, unless people actually stand up and, and say that those words stand for something, they just become platitudes. And uh, I think there's a lot riding on this next World Cup in 2023, hosted by Australia and New Zealand, to be able to say to the region, this is, this is what women can be. This is the sort of event women can put on. This is how exciting the world game for women is. This is where your growth is as well, right throughout Asia. And yet you've got this stain on your books from the Court of Arbitration for Sport that has found that you discriminate against women, um, that there is third party interference in your elections. Uh, you know, this, this is just not good enough. This is something that really needs to be addressed before we get very much closer to these 2023 um, World Cup events. Now, there's been no response from Football Australia. Um, they declined to comment and said it was a matter for the Asian Football Confederation, even though Chris Nicky was one of the members there. The Asian Football Confederation uh, said they hoped I had a really good program, but we're not going to buy into it. And um, FIFA itself said that it's an AFC matter and they were watching closely to see what would happen. Um, and uh, I'm going to continue watching closely as well to see exactly what will happen. And I'll keep asking them what is happening uh, because uh, there really should be movement in this regard. You're listening to Box to Box on Nine Radio's NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to ABC's host of the podcast program, The Ticket, Tracy Holmes. Tracy, um, you've, you've absolutely eloquently described all of that. One of the items that the Asian Football Confederation that I've always found a bit strange is that we obviously know that the, it's a massive confederation. It covers a, a huge part of the world. Obviously, there's South Southeast Asia, uh, which Australia is aligned with. Uh, and then there's obviously West Asia, which is effectively the Middle East, which is the power base of the AFC and controls such a big influence on, on FIFA politics. Um, but we know in terms of women's rights, um, it is a part of the world that is lagging behind most other, uh, most other areas in the world. And we know that the AFC has these five positions sort of, um, they're almost... Um, token positions for, for women in the game. There's, there's been no woman has stood against um, a man in an AFC election other than in, the, in these sort of um, positions that are, that, are so, that are sort of reserved for women. So it seems the AFC has a long way to go um, to make um, governance uh, improvements and uh, standards that we would accept in Australia. It's a long uh, interlude into this question, but Football Australia must be caught in a clash of cultures here because they would know that this type of behaviour is abhorrent to every Australian um, and it must need to play the politics of the region to ensure that Australia gets its fair share of um, all of the spoils that the AFC has to offer. So it will be a difficult path for Chris Niku and his colleagues at Football Australia to chart if they want to take this issue on. 
Yeah, very difficult. But um, that's not to say it shouldn't be done because, you know, we've had so many discussions uh, in Australia and around the world, especially during um, the COVID pandemic, where a lot of issues that the world faces in, in various ways um, have come to the fore. Um, which is, you know, you want to be on the right side of history. And I think this is one of those situations. Uh, you know, the, the right side of history, FIFA says they are on the right side of history, that there's a big future in the women's game and that's where they're injecting a, a lot of their efforts. Um, AFC is, is, you know, one of the members of FIFA. It's one of the confederations. It, it should have the support of FIFA in doing what is right in this time. We know that there are parts of the world that have a very different um, cultural history. We know that, that changes are happening slowly, but, but change comes about through discussion, um, through about transparency, through, through working together. Now, surely with the support of a country like Australia and the co-hosts New Zealand for the next Women's World Cup and the strength of FIFA and all of the statements they have made in this regard, then pressure could be applied at that executive um, committee level inside the AFC. Because um, it's not just the Middle East on its own. You know, Asia Asia is a big place. China is very big. Japan is very big. Uh, they, they have um, lo made lots of ground uh, with their women's game in both of those countries. So surely, uh, you know, there'd be friendly faces that could be relied upon to exert the sort of pressure that is needed to be exerted to, to correct this situation. I mean, the AFC really needs to be asked very, very strongly, what is a third party doing interfering in your elections? Like that is against your own FIFA, uh, your own AFC statutes. So what are you doing? Who is this third person? I mean, we know who he is. Why is he allowed to be there? Why was he there? Why haven't you done a review? And why is it that someone that has no position in football is still influencing football outcomes in a very big way throughout the region? Interestingly enough, the Court of Arbitration for Sport um, can only release these findings. It doesn't have any jurisdiction to compel the AFC to take action. FIFA said it's monitoring. Do you actually hope, hold out any hope that there'll be any action resulting for this or will it just um, this find these findings... Um, gather dust on, some sh on, a, on a shelf somewhere? I know that the AFC is hoping it gathers dust on a shelf somewhere and they can just keep their head in the sand and hope it all disappears. Um, but my hope is that uh, other um, podcasters such as yourself, <laughs> other reporters, other people around the world maintain the pressure because we're not asking them to do anything unusual or difficult. We're just asking them to do something right and that is investigate this situation that the Court of Arbitration for Sport has found you guilty of and address it and get on the right side of history. Well, time will tell. Uh, we must um, pay homage to Miriam Mohammed, who um, took a great risk in speaking out, and uh, she's been completely vindicated by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. It's probably hollow um, reward for her um, on the basis that uh, she wasn't elected. Um, but um, it is an ex 
extraordinarily interesting uh, dynamic, especially uh, in a time when women's football is front and centre with the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup coming to our region in 2023. Tracy, we thank you for sharing your insight on our program once again, and we look forward to the next time. Really great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on, and um, well done on covering this issue. Thanks, Tracy. That's great. Uh, after the break, um, we're going to be back with more on Box to Box. Don't go away. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Craig Deans moved to Newcastle in 2003 to join the Jets as a player, and he's never left. With over 15 years of, uh, at the club, Craig Deans has done everything. And now, after three times being appointed interim head coach, he finally gets the full-time gig. Congratulations, Craig Deans, and welcome to Box to Box right around Australia on the Nine Network. Thanks for having me. No, you're welcome. Um, I, I guess uh, talking to Newcastle Jets fans, I've got quite a few in my network, Craig. Uh, they, they had uh, one question with sort of three issues wrapped up in, in all of it. They said, um, under the current uh, ownership of the club and the direction, will we compete... Uh, and they mean that in the context of uh, resources for you off the field, coaches and so forth, yep. as well as player budget. Are we back in the hunt? Are we making up the numbers or are we actually in the hunt? That's the question Newcastle Jets fans yeah. have got for you. Yeah, look, obviously it's been a tough uh, probably, oh gee, at least 18 months uh, now in the club. You know, we've been on a steady decline um, in terms of uh, resources available and money in the club so it's been very very tough and, and obviously very frustrating for the supporters as well to, to sit there and watch that happen so um, look we 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 actually couldn't get to a lower point I don't think um, you know we're, we're still working very hard behind the scenes to add everything that we need to add and I think we've shown in the first eight games at least that we are more than competitive um, you know we got off to a bad start but the performances were good um, and then obviously the last four weeks we picked some points up as well. So look, once we start, we haven't actually added anything to the to the club or to the team. I took over, and once we start doing that, you know, hopefully, yeah, we will see we will see an improvement, and we will continue to to be competitive, and and we want to push ourselves into the top six, and then we want to stay there. Craig, it's Willem Pandander in here. Congratulations on your appointment. You've obviously had a, a wide and varied sort of bunch of coaching roles at the club across the men's and women's and youth programs. Have you been able to yep. sit back over the past week or so and consider your appointment as the culmination of your hard work or have you been more focused on the day-to-day demands of the job for the time being? Yeah, look, I, I think it's nice. Obviously, we've, I spent some time with my family and spoke to my parents and, um, you know, it's nice to make them proud and, and um, achieve something. But the achievement, it's a bit like playing. The, the easy part as a player is to get your first contract. It's not easy, but it's it's easy to get your first contract. It's what you do from the day after you get it that um, that makes a difference. So obviously, yeah, had, had an enjoyable day or so or evening with the family, and um, you know, thanks everybody that's helped me get here. But then from the next day, it's straight back to work, and then there's no time for sitting around and patting yourself on the back. Um, there's lots of work to be done here, and it's, it's straight into it and, and straight on with the job. And as Michael mentioned, your time uh, as interim boss following Carl Robinson's departure was your, your third period as caretaker. What was it about this time that you felt you were ready to put your hand up for the permanent position? Yeah, obviously I had a lot of different experiences over my time here and the first time I stepped in was when uh, Branko Kalina was sacked. I think I was 36 at the time and obviously knew myself that I was nowhere near ready to coach um, at that level um, at, at that time so I was happy just to to wait and, and be patient then obviously um, Ernie's situation came up and um, I'd been in, working in with Ernie for a little bit before he left and um, 
you know, got a taste back for, for being uh, in the A-League after five years with the W-League team. And, um, you know, obviously stayed around from, from that point on. And, and this time, you know, I think I've done enough, shown enough um, ability to, to coach at this level for, for, for myself to put my hand up and be confident that I could do the job. And, you know, it was up to the people that made that decision to, to hopefully make it, and they did. So, yeah, look, I, I backed my ability to, to do the job, and, you know, I won't be happy until we're, we've got a spot in the six and it's confirmed. And you follow Alan Stajic and Paddy Kiznorbo in recent times as A-League managers who have spent considerable time in the W-League. What have you taken from your time in women's football that you now implement into your coaching of an A-League side? Plenty. I think, obviously, coaching in W-League, it's a tough gig. You know, the, the spotlight's not there in terms of pressure, um, from external, you know, from media or supporters, the exposure's not quite there yet for the women's football and hopefully one day it will be. But I think it's hard work. There's so much work to be done. You, you generally do it all on your own. Um, you know, you have some part-time staff around you to help you, but you're sort of left on your own. And that side of it teaches you the work ethic. If you, if you don't have the work ethic, you don't survive in football, unfortunately, um, because it's, it's a lonely world. But um that side of it, and obviously the man management side, the girls um, ask a lot of questions. They 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 want answers. They want to they want to speak to the coach. You know, human being to human being, and that's something that you know I think I I didn't understand probably before I coached in women's football. And I think you know it's, it's definitely improved my ability to build relationships with players, and um, that helps when you when you're delivering bad news. It's easy to give out good news, but not so much the bad. So look, lots 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 learnt, but. Um, you know, it's been not just W League, there's, there's been a whole heap to it, but um, certainly I'm a better coach for having been a W League coach. Craig, um, my Malaysian context tell me that you have signed an absolute gun. Uh, Liridin Krizniki, he's uh, Kosovan born and raised, but he's uh, recently Malaysian naturalised. He's, he's a big unit. A big number ten, and he's coming to Newcastle Jets. Um, uh, Malaysian social media's lit up uh, for the A League uh, as a result of this uh, this uh, interesting recruitment. Uh, can you tell us the backstory of the recruitment and just uh, what you're looking forward to? I'm not sure whether he's out of quarantine yet. He might be still in quarantine, but I'm sure he's going to um, mm. he's going to thrill the Newcastle Jets fans. Yeah, no, I just fought with him uh, to get through the same doorway in the office. So um, he's in town and. <laughs> He's um yeah no he's a big boy um he's, he's probably my height which he's you know six two obviously a little bit fitter than I am at the moment but um yeah no he's he's a big boy he's in town um the background is that we had the opportunity to, to to sign him and um you know we did a little bit of homework one of my friends is uh, part of the club Johor so I, I spoke to him and he said some of the good things about Liri um and then the opportunity was there and it's his record is good um professional football he's got he's got something about him that um i think australian supporters will enjoy watching so yeah look we haven't been on the park yet but taking a few weeks to get fit but um you know hopefully he can show everybody what he's got and along with your other loan signing syrian abimanyu as you mentioned he's coming from Johor darul tazim now you just mentioned that you, you had a contact at the club but not a lot of um a-league clubs or recruits have come out of malaysia or southeast asia in no. general why do you think that might have been and and what was the recruitment process like in dealing with the club in an area that perhaps australian clubs don't have much uh, experience with yeah look i think it's it's an untapped market really um it's it's obviously a, a developing area in, in world football. Um, you know, Malaysia, Thailand, um, Philippines, all those sorts of smaller countries historically now have put a lot of money into their football program. So I think it's definitely an area that more Australian clubs will probably look into. Um, they'll probably have an eye on 
on our two boys and see how they go. And um, yeah, look, I think if you've got some contacts there, you know, the, the process is quite easy. You, you, you know, you can access the video nowadays is very easy. Um, you speak to people that you know and and um, you know you, you do your due diligence. And then, but it's a little bit of an unknown until they set foot here and and see how they stack up. They look quite physical and athletic. So we've had. Asian players, Song Jin Hyung was a Korean, the young Korean player we got oh, 10 years or so ago, and it took, you know, it took Tonga three or four months to, to come up to speed with the physicality. So, you know, it could be a similar situation for Arby especially. Um, but, you yeah, know, it's exciting and look forward to, to seeing him on the pitch. Uh, one of the other um, high-profile recruits, uh, he's not young, he's 34 years of age and he's had a, a good history in the sport, Ali Abbas. Can you tell us about how he's travelling and um, you know what we might expect from Ali uh, for the rest of the season? Um, Ali's doing well. I, I, um, I really like Ali. I worked with Ali, um, I think he first came in 2009, I think, to the club and so I'd obviously known him from back then and worked with him then and really, really like him as a player and a, and a, and a person. Um, as well, so um, he's had a couple of injuries uh, in pre-season. He, he filled in early in pre-season um, and played two or three games and performed really well. And then unfortunately, picked up a hamstring injury. Um, just I think getting back to the the rigors of football, um, you know, not not anything to do with his age, just having been out of the A League for a couple of years. So um, look, he, everyone loves him at the club. He's he's a he's a he's an awesome guy. Um, but football-wise, he brings us something a little bit different. He came on the weekend against Brisbane, and, and he settled the game down for us. His composure on the ball, his cleverness, he's a little bit cheeky, and and he's a winner. He's got the he's got a killer um, instinct as well. So um, yeah, really really like Ali, and very very happy to have him back. Craig Deans, you're Newcastle through and through these days. So it, I think all the Jets fans are thrilled for you personally, and they're looking forward to see what you can do for the rest of the season. There is a bit of optimism uh, around the club now. You know, you've got a pathway moving forward. So congratulations yeah. on your appointment. Good luck on Sunday at Amy Park, where you'll take on Melbourne Victory in what's a pretty important contest for both teams. After the break, uh, don't leave box to box because the team will be back and we'll be looking at the rest of the A League action. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box on Nine Radio's NTS News Talk Sport. Uh, we're broadcasting right around Australia or whatever podcast platform you happen to be listening to the show on. Uh, but now we're going to talk about uh, this weekend's A League matches. Uh, and to do that, we welcome to the show for the very first time this week, former Notts County Pro and son of a gun, Dean Hennessy. Welcome, Dino. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, thank good, you. Good to have you back on the show. But before we do that, I have a, a message that I know that you'll be interested in. Um, yeah. And that is, if uh, if you didn't know before the last 12 months, then you'll know now. Uh, we can all right. do with more space at home and work, Dino. So to help you solve your space problem... Get in touch with Storage King because they've they've got the storage solution for you to solve your space problems. On an Odino at your house in Essendon, there's plenty of space problems. If you're moving home and need a temporary or permanent space solution, Storage King have the answer. Go to storageking.com.au or call 1-800-STORAGE today to find out your nearest store and let Storage King give you back some space because at Storage King, they are the kings of storage moving and more. Dino, you must have uh, the need to open up uh, some space in that spare bedroom yeah. that's occupied by all of your international footballers that come and no, play in the right. NPL. Yeah, there's plenty of uh, 
plenty of room in the house, but the garage is an absolute disaster. So it, I do need some storage. Now, A-League, I know that you've been watching like Willem and I have. So we're going to hand over to Willem, who's going to guide us through this weekend's Beautiful. fixtures in the A-League. Thank you, Michael. Just quickly, that was an outstanding read by you, by the way, I thought. Makes me want to go down to Storage King. A-League Round 9 action this week. We're going to start with Adelaide against the Central Coast at Hindmarsh. Adelaide, a little bit of pressure starting to mount on Carl Viet. They're winless in their last three, and I thought the way they got dismantled 4-0 by MacArthur uh, was a little bit disappointing last week. The signs were there. They were 0-0 at halftime, but they looked like they were going to concede a few, and in the end, that was the way it played out. And, Michael, I just I wonder if that back four is maybe a little bit Inexperienced. Jordan Elsie's obviously been around a long time, but Timotheu, Delianov, and then they usually play a couple of their young wingers. We love the, the youth focus and the imperative to get kids through the system at Adelaide, but have they got the balance right this season? Uh, well, on the past three weeks, and in, in especially last week's game against McCarthy, you'd have to say no. But Jordan Elsie, I've got a lot of time for. I actually think he's a likely prospect and could play overseas. I think he's a very dependable defender. He probably plays a little older than he is, um, but... Look, the pressure's on, isn't it? And they had a great start to the season, but um, with the form that Central Coast is in, um, this could be a bit ugly for Adelaide. They'll get a key back, uh, in back this week, a bit of experience down back in Michael Maroney. To the Mariners, Dino, they lead the table by four points, which really doesn't get any less remarkable as the weeks roll on. I thought their win over Wellington was extremely mature. Wellington threw a bit at them, but they managed it with a plum, basically. And Matt Simon, he drew the red card from David Ball. It was a pretty poor tackle. And then... Drew the penalty, took the penalty. Uh, he is a dominant force in this league at the moment, Dean. Look, it's um, it's not just just that. I mean, you really, really, you can go from one to to eleven, and also the bench when they when they change it over. I mean, they've been absolutely outstanding. Um, I'm really impressed with the Central Coast, and and I think you know, obviously Adelaide are having that one of those bad runs, and you know, I think it's going to be a difficult game for them. But for me, I, I think definitely Central Coast possibly to win this game because of just their current form. There is one in, one of their foreign signings, Stefan Jankovic, who we haven't had a look at yet for the Mariners, but there is going to be a crucial out in Gianni Stensness, who's been uh, yeah, very, very important for them in the centre of the park over the last couple of seasons. The second game on Saturday afternoon will be Western United against MacArthur. Up in Ballarat, Michael, back to Mars Stadium. Seven points in the fortnight for MacArthur. Uh, they did as they pleased against Adelaide and Ante Milicic's methods, really starting to come to the fore now, particularly uh, for Matt Derbyshire, who had that week off or he had the rest against Brisbane came on late scored the goal and now we're starting to see what he can do at this level and the way they got their fullbacks uh, right up high against Adelaide uh, showed that they were in complete control of the match Western United though uh, Mark Rudin is still under pressure they had their their game last week postponed Um, Dino when you're a manager and you're under pressure like Rudin or maybe Paddy Kisnorbo uh, would be and then you have a game postponed is that a good thing do you want to sort of stay under the radar for a little bit or do you want to get your players back out on the park and into some form Look, it depends on how your squad, you know, in regards to injuries and maybe form. Um, so it's always a hard one, but most probably the more time they work together to try and iron out the problems that are obviously creating the position they're in in the league, um, I think they would like that time just to make sure they iron it out properly and then all of a sudden go on a run. I mean, they've only played five games, so there's some games in hand there. And if they were to, let's say, win the next two, you get to eleven points, and you're just knocking. You're in, you're in the top top six. So, yeah, I think I think I think from a manager's point of view, you'd want the time with them on the ground to, to iron it all out.
This is a big three points for uh, Western United, Michael. It's only early in the season, but they definitely, given what they said sort of before the season, they absolutely see this squad as good enough to go all the way and go better than last season. So this is a massive match for them. Huge game. Uh, they must win this game. Uh, it's going to be extremely difficult for them, but they must win. Uh, Western United really uh, the, the backs against the wall here in this game Saturday night at Cogra we're going to see Sydney FC host Brisbane Raw now Sydney with that uh, postponement against Western United last week and now going to have, have had 12 days off Brisbane after their hot start Dean under Warren Moon have gone two games scoreless uh, they did have the ball in the, the net a couple of times against Newcastle Jets but couldn't break them down in a legal manner if you like as they were, as they were ruled out due to VAR Interesting, Dean. Just one sub last week, uh, Brisbane Raw, despite the fact they couldn't hit the net, and they left Masudo Kudo on the bench. Warren Moon has said that he's still not ready to come on. He's had a couple of substitute appearances, but it would be just about time to, uh, to pull the trigger. What do you make of it as a manager when you've, uh, you're sort of under the pump a little bit, can't get the result, and you decide not to go to your bench? Well, look, I think, I think if you look at their position in the league, obviously they're in, they're in good, they're in good uh, fabulous position, really. Seven games, 13 points. Um, got the game in hand on the top two. Um, obviously, if they were to win that game in hand, they would go second. Um, but look, I think Warren Moon's done a pretty good job to date, and I think you know he knows the players better than certainly I do. Um, but for me, yeah, look, I, I think I think if you've got a really good setup, and you know, as you say, you only have the one sub that, that, that's been changed, you must be quite satisfied about how they're going about their business, but just not maybe on the scoreboard. Moving on to Sunday afternoon, we're going to have Melbourne Victory hosting Newcastle Jets. The pressure is building at Swan Street on Grant Brebner. Michael, huge pressure. They should have their full complement back. I think that was one thing in his press conference. Grant Brebner's been very honest, very forthright with where they're at. The one thing that he does have up his sleeve is that he said, we haven't had our crucial forwards playing, and that's completely fair enough. For this one, though, there should be no excuses. You'd expect Callum McManaman back. Robbie Cruz should definitely be fit to start as they haven't played in a while. And Rudy Jestead as well. A lot of Victory fans questioning whether he's actually making them any better, but he is a big-name signing, and he should be given a little bit more time so they shouldn't have any excuses this week the Jets as we mentioned with Craig Deans unbeaten in their last four they were second best against Brisbane as we mentioned uh, but the thing that they're doing at the moment they're not allowing any easy goals they're not giving up anything for free and as a result they deservedly hung on to that point how do you think this one will go well Melbourne victory's defending has been pathetic <laughs> I mean pathetic yep and I know a bit about defending Willem. Uh, and um, on the basis of that, uh, Newcastle Jets' attack has been pretty good. Mm-hmm. And they've got some lively types. Uh, I'm tipping Newcastle Jets, and I'm tipping that the pressure will continue to mount on Grant Brebner, and he might not last too long. You know, in football, Dino, when the club I comes don't. out and backs you and says they've given you their full support and they back you to turn this around, you know you're in a bit of trouble when they do that, don't they? No, you do. And look, and I've got a real soft spot for Rebs. I mean, you know, I know him really well. You know, we talk quite frequently, you know, each week about different things. And that's more just to be supportive to him because he's going through a tough time and I know what that's like as a manager. But um, he did definitely need a win, a real good win, get the strikers in there. All of a sudden, one win can turn everything on its head, you know, it can move you up possibly two or three places. And then all of a sudden, it looks a bit brighter and there's no injuries, which is obviously that's what they've been suffering. If you can go on a bit of a run where you can get the first team playing regular uh, together, then who knows? You know this league, you can change very, very quickly in the A-League. Another side doing it tough are Wellington. They're going to be hosting Western Sydney at Wollongong 
after that match on Sunday evening. They still haven't had a win at home, which is tough, and they're going to be without David Ball for two weeks. Although he's been a, a very good A-League player, very workmanlike. I thought that was really poor, uh, not only in terms of the danger to the to the opponent, but it pretty much ruled them out of the match, didn't it? They weren't ever really going to win it from there. Where do you think it's going wrong for them other than that, Michael? Just quickly, I thought Reno Piscopo on his return was excellent. Hopefully we can say, see him stay on the pitch a little bit longer. And they have also signed journeyman Charles Lokolingui. Uh, Piscopo is a very good player. I've seen him a lot. I saw him in uh, Thailand with the early Roos qualification where he was um, he was the main player in the team. Um, yeah, look, Wellington, will, uh, you know, they're doing it tough. You know, they're on the road. You say they haven't won at home. Well, they're, they're not at home, are they? No, that's true. That's yep. right. So they're, uh, they're doing it tough. Uh, this will be a tough game for them too. Yeah. It will, Dean. I think uh, it's the type of game that Western Sydney Wanderers should win if they're they going to take win themselves easily, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Duke, not here yet or maybe, you know, not out of quarantine yet. But Jordan Much, Dean, a uh, play with Premier League pedigree should be good to go and they've had an 11 day break uh, just a quick comment on Jordan Much yeah look very good player I mean he was at uh, one stage one of the I think it was the, one of the highest paid uh, for, for a young player um, in England at the time and, and he came with a really good rap but I mean those years are obviously gone and it's more in the latter years now of his career but with that experience and having played at that level he should add for me, he should be adding a lot to, to the team and giving them a lot of support to, to, to move in and, and, and actually really have a good run in the, in the first team. One match postponed uh, this week, Perth against Melbourne City. That was meant to be over in Perth. City will return to the pitch on Tuesday night at Amy Park against Sydney FC. And then the next night, Wednesday night, the victory will host Wellington. Yeah, an important game for Melbourne City because pressure's on Patrick Kazorba. is, yep. Absolutely. Well, that was good, uh, Willem and Dean. Thanks for that. Don't go away, uh, listeners, because after the break, second edition news, former Liverpool defender Stephen Warnock on the Reds' Premier League slide and maybe mini resurgence through the Champions League. Uh, more European news when Dino will return uh, and uh, Derek. Um, and also, we'll look at the crisis at Barcelona in stoppage time. Now, this is Box to Box with Michael Edgley and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For, for Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. Absolutely fantastic! And welcome back to Box to Box. Second edition news shortly with Willem van Denner and then former Liverpool defender Stephen Warnock on the Reds' Premier League slide. More European news with Dino and Derek before we look at the crisis engulfing Barcelona in stoppage time. Uh, Willem, you've got some... uh Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. I do, Michael. As always, it's for the Green and Gold Army. It's just over a month until the Socceroos Road to Qatar can finally continue, and that will mean that there'll be a glut of fixtures to be made up over the next couple of years. So, with that the case, you'll absolutely want to join the Green and Gold Army. Take the first first step in doing so today by signing up to the mailing list at ggatravel.com.au. How many people do you have on that mailing list, Michael? Uh, about 35,000. 35,000. Something like that. Uh, not a lot of women's football played for our Matildas abroad, but Sam Kerr's 11th goal of the uh, Women's Super League season helped Chelsea establish themselves at the top of the table. They're now five points clear of second place. Her header was Chelsea's fourth in their 5-0 route of Bristol, where Ella Mastrantonio was kept on the bench. What's going on with the Arsenal women, Michael and Derek? Because they've got to be cursed at the moment. Of all the football sides uh, in the world, they simply cannot get on the pitch. This time, it was frozen. They're having an absolutely shocking run, so they've had another game postponed. There was some action uh, at Everton for Hayley Rasso. She played in a draw. And over in Spain, Ivy Lewick played in a draw for Sevilla. 
to the Socceroos. Jackson Irvine and Martin Boyle suffered the same fate as the Arsenal women. A frozen pitch in Scotland kept them off the park. Elsewhere, though, Tom Rogic's latest Celtic comeback continued. He played an impressive 76 minutes in a 2-1 win over St Johnston. The highlight of the week, and I know you've seen this one, Michael, because it was all over the Green and Gold Army uh, socials, was Ryan Edwards at his League One side of Burton. He played the entire match. They were 1-0 up, 94 minutes in. He ran the length of the pitch solo and added the second in their 2-0 win over Northampton Town. To Champions League news, Erling Haaland has put Borussia Dortmund in the box seat to progress to the quarterfinals, scoring twice in a 3-2 win at Sevilla. Dortmund went behind early, but from there scored three times in 24 minutes, with Haaland maintaining his record of scoring against every opponent he faces in the competition. And they're slow in possession there, and it's a three-on-one momentarily, and Haaland is in! And that is the inevitable outcome. Erling Haaland on the mark again. Derek, as always, you and Dino will have the full Champions League wrap later in the show in Europe. But just for now, a quick word on, I know, one of your favourite players, Erling Haaland. No longer just a flash in the pan. He's been on the scene for a little while now and he's continued this remarkable scoring rate. Uh, He has reached 10 Champions League goals faster than any player ever, doing so in just his seventh game. Yeah, I don't ever think he was a flash in the pan. Uh, Let me clarify, not a flash in the pan, but he did come (laughs) on the scene very quickly. This has now been... a well-extended run. It's an extraordinary career today. He is the top footballer in Europe. I think every club would do whatever they could to sign him. And while Dortmund have struggled in Bundesliga, they look really good in this competition. And the Champions League quarterfinals lineup potentially looks excellent. And Dino and I will talk about that later on. Bournemouth appear close to finalising Jason Tindall's replacement as manager, with Arsenal legend Thierry Henry recently added to the shortlist. Henry is currently in charge of MLS side CF Montreal, however, is yet to be granted permission to speak to the championship club. As mentioned last week, also in the running is former Huddersfield boss David Wagner, who has been clubless since his sacking from Schalke in September. Derek, you would keep a closer eye on Henri as a manager than most in the show. Is there anything to be uh, read into this? I would think on the face of it, surely, if you could take Wagner, you would prefer him. Putting my Arsenal hat off for a second, I think you'd absolutely say David Wagner has the better CV out of the two individuals in question. And as we said on the show last week, he has a demonstrable track record for promoting teams from the championship. Uh, Thierry Henry, I love him. He's my favourite Arsenal player of all time. He's had a very mixed start to his managerial career. Monaco didn't go well for him. I know he had some joy with uh, Martinez at um, the Belgian national team. But uh, this would be a big move for him and for Bournemouth. And they'd be taking a risk. And I think what they're trying to do is look for another Eddie Howe, another philosophy manager who can come in and play the attractive football that they want. But uh, yeah, I mean, Wagner would be the better bet for me, Willem. Sad news this week in that Argentinian World Cup hero Leopoldo Luque has passed away aged 71, having suffered a heart attack that resulted from contracting COVID-19. Luque scored four goals in Argentina's victorious 78 World Cup campaign on home soil. Three years prior, he'd also been the Golden Boot winner at the 1975 Copa America. All up, he scored 22 goals in 45 appearances for his country, while in club football, he enjoyed five titles in five years with River Plate. That's a famous uh, World Cup victory the Argentinians uh, performed on home soil. So whenever uh, a member of that team is sadly uh, passes away, it, it has a big impact in Argentina. Um, nothing like a home World Cup victory to uh, to really leave its imprint on a on the DNA of a nation. Uh, and obviously, uh, being COVID related, uh, just hurts that little bit more, doesn't it, Willem? 
That certainly does, Michael. Marcus Rashford has been named in Time Magazine's Next 100 list, which recognises those who are shaping the future of the world. The 23-year-old was categorised as an advocate rather than footballer after his free school meals petition saw the government offer extra support to families in need. It's further recognition for Rashford, who was made an MBE this year and presented a special award at the BBC Sports Personality of the Year Awards. Over to Spain, La Liga leaders Atletico Madrid have again stumbled against mid-table opposition, mustering a one-all draw against Levante. Their second draw in three matches has seen the lead cut from Real Madrid uh, to six points, although they do have the game in hand. Atletico, Derek are of course aiming for their first La Liga title since 2013-14, the last time neither Real or Barca saluted. 16 games to go, still a long way to play, but given the lead that they've had, you wouldn't want them to get the wobbles. No, I think the neutral would love to see another winner of the La Liga title. Uh, Bar- this is the, t- the season for them to do it. Again, we'll talk about Barcelona later on in the show and the problems they have there on and off the pitch. And clearly, while Real Madrid have been making up ground, there is still an underlying problem there, I think, with the manager and some of the playing sides. So I'd love to see Simeone and his men take out La Liga. Over to Italy, Lazio and their president Claudio Lotito and two club doctors will face an Italian federal court accused of failing to adhere to COVID-19 protocols. They include failing to report cases, allowing three positive players to attend training and twice failing to enforce mandatory 10-day quarantine periods on positive players. Michael, subsequently, one of those players was involved in a Serie A game. Uh, It has been said that all involved will challenge the rulings. Yeah, COVID protocols are there for a very good reason. We all understand that without uh, uh, any ambiguity. So uh, when they're breached, uh, penalties will invariably be uh, brought down upon them. And I can't see the boys at Lazio getting away with that. Can you? All sorts of protocols being broken in uh, Serie A this season. I know they've had problems with ineligible players as well as getting teams to certain fixtures, etc. So I think the uh, admin uh, staff at all... Uh, Serie A clubs need to have a good long hard look in the mirror I think they do too (laughs) and a final one from me Michael that I know you wanted to comment on US soccer uh, a a body that we cover extensively on the show their revenues are like many places around the world going to plummet following COVID-19 just a couple of dot points their projected deficit for the 2021 financial year is just 44 million Uh, the budgeted deficit uh, the week before the pandemic hit was $27.5 million. Uh, The deficit for 2022 is going to be $40.6 million. Their reserves, which were $139 million at the start of this financial year, are projected to fall $31.8 million. So fighting fires on a number of uh, fronts at the moment, US soccer. Yeah, US soccer, um, similar sort of structure to Football Australia in terms of how they operate, obviously a much bigger market but um, we often say don't we that uh, Australian football follows the lead of American football in its development and uh, they are big losses for that organisation to absorb Um, the one advantage they have over us is they have reserves and that's one thing that Football Australia doesn't have and uh, the grapevine tells me that Football Australia is looking for a pretty mighty loss in this financial year as well Willem Uh, all COVID related after the break we're going to talk to former Liverpool defender Stephen Warnock Derek on the Reds' Premier League slide. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box on Nine Radio's NTS News Talk Sport right around Australia. And now we've got, uh, we're very 
Delighted to return to Box the Box, the former Liverpool defender, Stephen Warnock. Uh, welcome, Stephen, all the way from Liverpool. We hope the cold snap is uh, not too harsh and you're keeping warm. <laughs> yeah, morning, guys. Uh, it's not too bad, actually. It's, uh, it's warmed up a little bit considering what it was uh, about a week or so ago, so uh, probably not as warm as you, you guys have it. No, we are enjoying some um, late uh, summer delight here. Um, you've probably seen the tennis on the TV. It's only a mild 31 degrees today, but um, we're <laughs> enjoying that. We won't rub it in, Stephen. But um, despite a 2-0 uh, victory over RB Leipzig uh, um, in the um, European competition, uh, the form of the Reds in the Premier League has been um, has been pretty troubling for all Liverpool fans right around uh, the world. And uh, we want to get some insight from you in terms of uh, where you think they're at and whether uh, this little win over Leipzig might um, you know help um, the the Premier League form as as well. What what are your thoughts on Liverpool at the moment and and what's to come in the coming weeks? It's been a really tough time for them recently. Um, a lot's been made about the injuries of Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez. Liverpool were probably a little bit poor with both those players playing as well. Uh, the defeat against Aston Villa was with both of those players in the team, which was a 7-2 defeat. And there was obviously issues before that. Um, I think the form would have picked up with, with having those players in the team a lot more. I think they would have been more resilient, a lot stronger. There's been plenty made of the midfielders playing at centre-back and that's not really helped them but the midfielders that have been playing at centre-back Fabinho and Henderson it's definitely hindered the pressing and the so the way that Liverpool play the game against Leipzig on, on Tuesday night was actually the best I've seen Liverpool play this season uh, as a whole display it reminded me of um, the team from perhaps not even last season, but the year before where they pressed really high and they won the ball back um, sort of 10, 15 yards from goal and put the team under pressure. But my concern for the Premier League and, and the game against Leipzig is, is that Leipzig are an open, expansive team and they want you to come out and they want you to play football because they feel that they can counter-attack you. When you go into the Premier League and you think of the teams that Liverpool have suffered against, they've suffered against the likes of Fulham, West Bromwich Albion, um, who all sit deep. And when they sit deep, that's where Liverpool struggle to break teams down. And they've got, at the moment, where in the next couple of weeks, Liverpool have Everton and Fulham. And you just wonder if those two teams sit back and sit deep, how Liverpool can open them up and, and cause them problems. Stephen, it has to be said, though, that Liverpool have played, leading into this season, two seasons of near perfection. The season where they didn't win the league, but they pushed City all the way with that tremendous run that then followed into last season. Then throw in COVID-19, which disrupted the season and the pressure of the 30 years just kept building and building. Leaving aside the, the injuries, is this team just drained and is this a natural cycle for a team we saw um, Alex Ferguson was famous for, for reinvigorating and reinventing his team so you just think there's a bit of a malaise over this team because of the effort of those two previous seasons I honestly believe it's that the pressure that's been on the players for, for the title and it's almost like um, I remember speaking to a psychologist about it and he said it's almost like when you're, you've had a, a, a three-course meal and you're completely stuffed and you undo your top button and your belt on your on your pants because you just need a breather. And it's almost like that's what Liverpool need at the moment is just that, that weight off the shoulders. It's, it's like, oh, just let us relax a little bit. But 
you don't get that opportunity when you when you win a title and, and when you're Liverpool Football Club as well. I also think there's a big side of it where they haven't been able to celebrate the title. I mean, you think of the famous scenes when Liverpool won the Champions League, whether it was Istanbul or, or Madrid, and the scenes after it in Liverpool where they get to celebrate. And that spares you on. That gives you gives you more ambition to win things. And they haven't had the opportunity to do that and celebrate the title, which I think is a big, big thing for the players. Um, my, my big concern, what you said there about um, Sir Alex Ferguson being able to, to sort of reinvigorate and have new players to it. With COVID-19, I simply don't think uh, FSG don't have the money to do that. Um, when you think of the Red Sox not playing, um, Liverpool not having crowds and just no fun, uh, no funds coming into to FSG is do they have the funds to really go and, and, and spend? I think the only way that they're going to be able to do it is by selling players. Now, who do you sell? Um, because how many players have value in them? I think there's probably a couple, which is perhaps Shakiri and Oxlade-Chamberlain, uh, maybe Naby Keita, who doesn't play often enough and is injury-prone. But it, it's a huge job for, for Jurgen Klopp to, to decide whether he thinks that they need that or whether he thinks it's just one of those seasons where it's been a bit of a blip. Because um, the other concern as well is is that people often look at injuries and say, well, they've got Van Dijk coming back at the end of the season and he'll be ready for next year and Joe Gomez and Joe Matip. But often what we find is is that, yeah, they come back at that point, but they don't hit the peak until, or they don't hit the best for another perhaps six months after that. So then you're again looking at Christmas time before you're going to get your, your big performances from the likes of Van Dijk and, uh, and Gomez. Stephen, you were mentioning before then about some of the players they could sell and we, you know, as a Liverpool fan, we don't want to lord Ferguson too much. But what he also did was move on Mm -hmm. players, the big players who were potentially still perceived to be at the top of their game. But when they'd reached a certain uh, maximum valuation or when uh, Ferguson thought that they were um, not part of the plan for the future. Can you see any players in the in the kind of more celebrated triumvirate up front, particularly Mane and Salah, that he may look to uh, move on? I mean, that's the the million dollar question at the moment, isn't it? I think there's been plenty of talk about uh, Killian and Mbappe, and there's is there a potential to do that deal or um, Haaland as well? And you look at those players and you think, yeah, very very good players would they want to go to Liverpool or do they have dreams of going to a Barcelona or a Real Madrid? Then it takes the, the, the players in question, Mane and Salah, to want to go um, and the, the money that you can command for them. There'd be uproar if, if, if either of those players was, were to leave Liverpool, but then if you are bringing in uh, a top addition like an Mbappe or a Haaland, then that's OK. The big stumbling block upon all of that is it's not in the model of FSG. They don't buy world-class players. They make world-class players. Even Van Dijk, when he came into the club, there was questions about the money being paid. Now, whether it will be a statement from FSG to then go out and do this, it remains to be seen, but it's just not in their makeup to do that. I actually can't believe I'm going to ask this question because I just think it's completely outrageous. But I did read two days ago before the RP Leipzig game that Klopp was the favourite to be the next Premier League manager sacked. I just can't believe that there's actually 
you know, coming from, you know, from our perspective in Australia, who would have, after all that Klopp has done for the club, um, its brand and, and the silverware and the, the, just the momentum that he built up at the club, um, you English uh, people, you, can, you lose a few games and, and the, the knives come out, but tell me there's got to be no truth to it. There's nothing whatsoever. I mean, I, I, I was uh, working on Saturday and um, I was driving back from London and I was like, this can't be true. Absolutely no chance. And I think it's Everton fans and <laughs> Man United fans starting a rumour mill and they're just trying their best to stir the pot. Um, but I think just, um, again, in the media and the way things can be clipped up and the way that uh, questions are asked after the game, Klopp was low after the Leicester game because I think he was that frustrated that his team had been in it for the 70 odd minutes and then there was seven minutes of madness and he's, he's, he's probably thinking what do we have to do at the moment um, because we're not actually playing that bad but it's another bad result and then he was asked about the title he looked a little bit drained a little bit emotional after the question but that was clipped up he'd already been asked the question before and it was almost like a, stop asking me that question I've answered it already and people took it as in, he, he's, he's had enough. Well, he's had enough of the, the same question in, in the press conference. So I think people just jumped on that and got carried away. He, the, the one thing about Jurgen Klopp is, and people, people look at his legacy at Dortmund and they say, oh, this is what Jurgen Klopp does. He burns out when he gets to a point. I think he learnt from that. I think there's parts of him that wish he, he stayed and learnt from that, that season where it didn't quite go so right. But... He'd also had the, the, the pass on the back from Liverpool to say, listen, we want you. We want you to come and join. So he was he was always going to sort of walk from Dortmund to go into Liverpool down the road. Um, he wants to leave a legacy at Liverpool. And he's already started that legacy by what we talked about last year was the, the incredible performance. Was it one of the best Premier League teams we'd seen? Champions League followed by the Premier League. But he wants to walk away from Liverpool with a statue outside. Now, he, he, he will do that at some point by continuing to do the great work he does. But I think that's his, his drive and ambition for, for, for being manager of Liverpool Football Club. You'd also have to say, Stephen, as well, that you know that the situation with losing his mother couldn't have helped as well. And I don't think people should underestimate just what psychological impact that would have had on the man too, as well as, as, well as the league form. But one thing that could put him back on the track is the Champions League. We spoke about the... 2-0 um, win over Leipzig. You were covering it for the BBC and were impressed by the Liverpool performance. Is this a, um, a competition that a slightly wounded animal in Liverpool could actually go all the way? Because um, there's not a dominant sort of team in, you know, apart, aside from Bayern Munich. I think this, this, this is quite an open Champions League, do you think? It's massively open. Manchester City are actually huge favourites uh, with the bookmakers in England. They see them as the, the, the team to beat. Um, Bayern Munich, I, I covered them for the Club World Cup uh, against uh, Tigres and they, they struggled. They, they weren't the, the usual fluent Bayern Munich that we expect to see. Um, they haven't been the same in, in the Bundesliga this year. But what's interesting about the Champions League is, is that it, it's usually won by a team who haven't been playing that well or who've had a bit of a a sticky season or something's not quite gone right for them. It's never usually the team who's like dominant all the way through the season. So um, you think of Bayern Munich last year, they were they were so poor in the first half of the season, but then second half of the season, it clicked at the right time and, and they were a phenomenal team. So uh, it, 
it suits Liverpool's style of football, as I said earlier on, with um, with teams in the Champions League. They're not going to come and park the bus. They're not going to sit deep. If they do, Liverpool will find it difficult, as we saw with Atletico Madrid last year. And that's where the danger comes from Liverpool. And it's it's all about the draw for them and, and who they come up against. If they come up against a team who's open, expansive, then they'll fancy the chances straight away. Stephen, let's look ahead to the weekend. Uh, Everton's not won at, uh, to Anfield since 1999. Is this their best chance <laughs> in the last... Since then, is this their best chance this weekend? Yeah, they'll feel it, it is. But there's doubt within, with the Evertonians already <laughs> because of the, the form of, of late. I mean, people are talking about Liverpool's form of late and saying, oh, they're really struggling. But in the last five Premier League games... Liverpool have picked up more points than Everton. So, um, Everton as well possibly will be without Daniel uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, um, which would be a huge loss for them, especially against Liverpool. Um, so, I think off the back of the, the victory against Leipzig, I think Liverpool will be pumped up. I thought there was a real hunger about them. I, 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 put Liverpool, I, I did actually have Everton a couple of weeks ago as favourites going into the game. I think that's just swung again completely. And I say, uh, after Everton getting beat by Manchester City last night, um, I see Liverpool dominating the game. I think it'll be very difficult. Um, I don't think it'll be a classic because of the way that Everton play. But I, I still expect Liverpool to get the victory. Stephen Warnock, we thank you so much. Your insight is just so special. We're, we're, we're really privileged to have you on our program. Thank you for joining us from Liverpool. We hope the weather gets better real soon. And importantly, seriously, we hope that you and your family, your extended family and friends are staying safe in these times. Cheers. Thanks very much, guys. And thanks for having me on again. You're welcome, Stephen. Uh, join us after the break when we're going to talk more of Europe with Dean and Derek on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Well, it's time to welcome back our former Notts County Pro and 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League, uh, the son of a gun, Dean Hennessy. Dino, welcome back. Yeah, good to be back. Good to be back, yes. We've also got uh, Derek Dyson, who's a former ITN football journalist and is the politest uh, person in the room tonight, uh, Dino. <laughs> Thank you very much. I pride myself on that, Edge. You do. And uh, Europe, um, always a lot happening in Europe. Uh, why don't we start with uh, Champions League? Yeah, that's also back. And four fantastic games, Dino. You can't say there was a boring one here. Let's, uh, let's go to the new camp. We're going to cover Barcelona in their wider issues and stoppage time. But on the pitch, uh, absolutely disastrous result. And uh, Kylian Mbappe... Um, it's easy to draw the comparison with Thierry Henry, but bloody hell, they're, they're, they're similar players, aren't they? Wonderful player. I mean, uh, and all, all three goals were great. So, um, you know, they're talking about him and Haaland being like the, the Messi and uh, Ronaldo, I guess. And uh, that, that might be something that's going to happen in the next one or two years. I wonder if Barcelona are now wondering they appointed the wrong manager looking across the uh, technical area at Pochettino and whether they should have done everything they could and putting aside the politics of Pochettino being the Espanol player that he was and just going and getting that manager because yeah. they look good under him so far, Dean. No, they did. Yeah, from a, a PSG point of view, it's, it's been a really good appointment and 
and and that and that, that that result just shows it, you know, especially away from home. That they, they won't be Barcelona won't be coming back from that. No Neymar in the PSG team as well, so no excuses for Barcelona in my opinion. We were just talking to Stephen Warmock former Liverpool player Dean about the Liverpool result it was a yeah. great it was a great uh, performance for them and in fact it was the Germans defence that was uh, under the pump not the Reds no it was um, and look in, uh, again uh, Liverpool having a, a bit of a struggle in the, in the Premier League uh, as it stands but uh, in Europe um, they, they just turned it on it was a fabulous performance and uh, there really there wasn't any any passengers and, and the back four defended well and, and that makes a big, big difference. Dino, can I have a rant about playing out from the back again? Uh, yeah, look, <laughs> you can. <laughs> I don't know if anyone saw the Porto-Juventus game, but once again, some absolutely uh, comedy uh, defending from Juventus that just virtually gifted uh, Porto the uh, the opening goal in the game. I mean, surely to God, we've got past this now and it's Rose Ed from now on for these teams, Dean. There is a time and a place to play decent football and pass it through the channels and, you know, it's nice. But there's, you know, the old diag from left to right, 30 yards, 40 yards, change it up. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think I think the game's changed so much now that you have to be in possession. There's a lot of evidence that says that if you, you say, 30% possession against 70, but you, you've won the game because... You've done everything right. Yeah, but surely if you can see that there are more of the opposition players than your players and they're all pushing, at, pressing up at you, surely you don't want to then start playing the ball around your penalty box. And, no, of course um, you don't. It's time and place, as you said. Uh, we covered Absolutely. Erling Brout Haaland in News 2. He's a stunning player and the Dortmund looked good. I'm going to put you and Edge under the microscope for the Champions League game next week. I just want one-word answers from both of you, starting with with Edge, uh, Lazio and Bayern Munich, Edge. Bayern Munich. Dino. Uh, Bayern Munich. This is a good one. Atletico Madrid versus Chelsea. Edge. Atletico Madrid. What do you Chelsea. think? Ah, some divergence there. They're looking good. We'll talk about Chelsea in They're a second. Very under good. Tuchel. Especially with the, yeah, Tuchel. Yeah. This is an intriguing one as well. Atalanta versus Real Madrid. Yeah, I want to say Atalanta, but uh, yeah, I think Real Madrid's got the guns. Yeah, Real Madrid. We'll be checking this next week, gents. And Bayern <laughs> Munich versus Man- sorry, about Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Manchester City. Can any of you see? Gladbach doing this or is it City all the way? Uh, the Gladbags, they're not going to win this one. <laughs> Manchester City will, will get the job done. This is their uh, Champions League to win. I think Man City are the most informed team in the world, really, at the moment. Um, and I know that's hard to say because every competition is different. But if you're talking about the, the Premier League's the best league, their run just recently has been unbelievable. And, and that Foden, oh, tell you what, he can play a bit. So you- Manchester City Bayern Munich final? As long as the draw. I don't know. I remember this is City's best chance. I think as long as the draw plays out like that, yeah, I think that would be. be I think that yeah, would be a, a tremendous final. It'd certainly be worth getting up early to watch that one. Speaking of Manchester City, they're ten points clear at the top of the Premier League. You called out Foden, who was amongst the scorers. Dean, as they really uh, thumped Everton. It's a 17-game streak now for City, and I don't think anyone's going to catch them. The only thing I'm going to pull them up on is that they don't seem to be able to take penalties because Rodri uh, took one against uh, Spurs um, at the weekend, and he scored, but it wasn't a good penalty, Dean. It was, no, it wasn't. It was nearly no, it wasn't saved. Before. So what on earth is going on with City and penalties? I don't know. I mean, I think, look, 
you just have to practice them as you do. And, uh, and look, he scored, but he was very fortunate. Um, you know, it was, uh, the keeper had a decent hand on it. They're threatening to uh, deploy Edison, the goalkeeper, to take penalties. Now, I don't think that is too far and away now because I'm not impressed with anything that I've seen recently. And these guys earn 200 grand a week. They need to take a better uh, spot kick than that. Um, Fulham, during the week, the game uh, yesterday, they lost a bit of ground, Dean. But to be honest with you, Fulham are now gaining some momentum in the Premier League. It's still, a, it's still a good draw away at Burnley. And they've got Newcastle United in their sights. Are you impressed with how they're playing, Dean? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think he's done a fabulous job. Um, and it was a tough job as well. I mean, they changed a lot of the staff as well. But that, I, think, I think they've got that bit of momo- momentum. And obviously with Newcastle pretty well sliding and having injuries to boot... I mean, look, you know, the, the pressure's going to be on Newcastle. I think Brighton will, will have enough and, and Burnley and Palace and then everybody above that. But I think Newcastle have got to be the ones looking over their shoulder. I absolutely agree. Um, they did seem to flicker into life uh, a couple of games ago, but Newcastle back to their kind of ugliest in, in recent times. Um, we should talk about Arsenal quickly, given that Rob isn't here. So this is the Arsenal takeover with with uh, Derek and Edge. Uh, an entertaining <laughs> win over Leeds and a hat-trick for Obama Yang. But Edge, we nearly threw it away, really. We made 4-0 look like a really precarious scoreline. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know what you're saying, but a win's a win. And... Uh a, a you know four goal win is a good one too. So I'm I'm pretty happy to put that one into the bank, uh, Derek, and move on to the next game. Righty ho. So um, lots going on. We've got some games coming up uh, again this weekend. We spoke to Stephen Warnock about Liverpool Everton. That will be the pick. But we also see uh, West Ham United and Tottenham. That's a really yeah. tasty East London derby. There's no love lost between those two sets of fans, even though they won't be in the ground. They might be in the pub or in the park or something. And then Arsenal versus Manchester City. Uh, I don't have a lot of hope for Arsenal there. I think it, you know. I think if they could come out with a respectable defeat, I'd actually probably take a two 0 or, or something like that. Manchester United play in trouble. Newcastle United. So, Dino, the floor is yours. Wayne Rooney um, has now won five of his first six games as the Derby County manager. Tell us about yeah. it. I think he's had a fabulous run. I mean, look, and they've, and they've not done it easy, like even, you know, overnight. Um, it was a last minute, you know, at Wickham, which were bottom of the table. But um, I think even when he was in his, um, when he had the, the job as like a caretaker, he still did well in that little period. So, Hopefully, I think the consistency of going on a bit of a run, pushing yourself out of trouble, and then all of a sudden you get to your next game and go, well, if we win that, you know, we could be knocking on the door. And and it's a slow process, but there's still enough games, as we all know. Um, so, look, I still think Derby, um, they're not totally out of the woods, but I think they're pretty well on their way to starting to build something that might be uh, reasonably decent in uh, months to come. Dino, one of uh, your old man's former clubs and a club that you and I really do love. That's we do. A great experience going there is Birmingham City. Um, they're in 23rd position on the table. Uh, they've played 30 games, so they've actually played more games than some of their rivals. But can you yeah. see any way out for, for the Blue Noses? I can't really. I mean, I think Wickham are gone, so we'll put, we'll put a line through Wickham. I can't see them coming back at any stage. Uh, and, and as you say, they're... 
look, it, look, you just don't know. But I'm, I'm, I've got real doubts that they can get out of this. It, it's not. It's certainly not blue sky for Birmingham. Certainly not blue sky for Norwich City, who are still top and four points clear. Brentford, who guys I tipped to be champions and are now making a great run up the league, and hopefully I can retain that EFL uh, Championship title. Uh, Swansea, Watford, Reading, and Bournemouth, who we mentioned earlier, who are being linked with uh, Thierry Henry as manager. So that could be an interesting one. That's an interesting one. That I mean, I, I'm a bit confused with all of that. I mean, Jonathan Woodgate's come in and done a fabulous job. Yeah, we were saying earlier, Dino. It's just with Henri. I mean, from my point of view, I just hate that anything that taints the Henri legacy. He's the perfect Arsenal player. I, I didn't enjoy watching him suffer at Monaco. I don't want to see him suffering again at another club. But I think there are other options for Bournemouth and giving a, an untried manager still at this level in the Championship, as we discuss time and time again, is a ferocious um, com- a competition to compete in. So it's not a it step. Is. It's not a step down. Uh, to be in the championship uh, just wrapping up uh, Europe a few little lines um, Everton will find out shortly whether they've got planning permission for a new stadium to replace Goodison Park I think that will actually be a bit of a shame it's one of the classic old football grounds Do you know there are not that many uh, grounds left like Goodison Park no. but at the same time progress I suppose needs to happen and Everton are a team on a upward trajectory um, so I think uh, you know they should push on with that with, with that yeah, me too. with that project too um, and the good news Edge I suppose as we wrap up Europe is uh, Ligue 1 have finally found a broadcast partner again they had a broadcast partner at the start of the season they lost their broadcast partner and they've got uh, Canal Plus back albeit at a very very low price for the rest of the season shades of uh, the A-League it was um, almost like one of those bargains you stumble across at the uh, at the high street shops close to where you live, you know, in the basket at the front, it would have been yeah. League League One, French League One broadcast rights, $2 shop type or of stuff. Or catch.com.au. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that type of deal. So um, at least the French football fans uh, in France can watch their clubs go around. But uh, that's, uh, that uh, deal um, is going to have reverberations for French football for a long time to come. That's enough for Europe for the moment. We're going to be back after the break uh, where Dean and Derek will stay with us and we're going to talk exclusively about the crisis engulfing the Catalonian giants and that's Barcelona. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box. So I think uh, the fourth official has put up the uh, board, Derek, and it says uh, seven and a half or eight minutes to go. Uh, so um, we've had a great show. We've talked to Tracy Holmes uh, about all things Asian Football Confederation and the nasty backroom dealings that ha- happened there. Um, we've talked to Newcastle Jets head coach Craig Deans, fourth time lucky for him, um, and uh, he's been appointed the head coach, and also former Liverpool defender and pundit Stephen Warnock, who had so many wonderful insights into Liverpool and their seasons going. Derek, uh, right now we're going to have a, a close look at Barcelona uh, and what could threaten the very existence of this one great giant of world football. But before we do that, uh, I've got a message for Dean and uh, and Willem. And that is um, that you can save big on big brand skincare and sun care right now at Chemist Warehouse. You can get 20% off Savachi Sav- range, 30% off the Avena range, 30% off La Roche-Posé range, including their skincare and sun care. There's also a massive 40% 
off the Gentle Skin Cleanser and Moistening Lotion. Uh, that's from Cetaphil, one litre each at just $14.99. And uh, also half-price Garnier, Keratin and Aveno skincare ranges. Uh, and Dino, we know that the, the Neurogena Sun Care is your choice. You can get that at 40% off right now because you love a bit of sun care to keep uh, the ultraviolet rays from burning that beautiful pristine baby skin you have. That's right. Get it from Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. But let's talk about uh, Barcelona now. And I might just kick this off by um, talking about uh, Barcelona's debt. It's now more than 1 billion euros. You know, you just think about that from the context of a football club. Um, and in the context of that, you know, you've only, you've only got to sort of re- relay how it's played in the media in Spain because, you know, um, Neymar was going to be recruited by Barcelona this year and all the way through the transfer windows he was coming, he was coming and he didn't come and they couldn't even afford to buy Eric Garcia, could they? No, they couldn't. 1.5 billion Australian dollars uh, is a lot of money and they are the architects of their own downfall in many ways, Edge, and we can cover during this just quick discussion many aspects of, of what they've done wrong at the club. But I think what's most one of the most important things that we need to understand first with Barcelona is the member-owned structure of the club. There are 144,000 members of the club. It's not unique because I believe Real Madrid has the same structure. I believe Bayern Munich has the same structure. But what that means is that um, there's a board that's elected every so often that the members um, elect that board. And uh, what it means is that they go to the hustings every so often. They have to sell themselves to the members. And quite often that is big money signings. It's also keeping hold of Messi. And I think there's a whole question to be had around to have Barcelona held on to Messi for too long, paying him his 50 million Australian dollar wages base rate a year uh, to stay at the club uh, when they're not performing uh, to, the, to the highest standard. But I think that that sits partly at the centre of, of this is the fact that you've got people that run the club that don't necessarily have a long-term view, they've just got a short-term view. Messi is actually Barcelona's biggest creditor. He's, he's the person they owe the most money to. Yeah. and I, Unbelievable. I, yeah. And that, absolutely. And, you know, Dino might elaborate on the transition from the classic Pep Guardiola team in a moment. Messi is still a, a remnant of that, as you said. He, you know, there was the scandal earlier in the year where he was trying to leave the club. And the situation they've got now is, is that he's a creditor, but they're in a situation where they can't actually take any money for him anymore because he can go and join any club he likes now. PSG could come and could come and take him out. And that means they're going to have, you know, still owe him money, but they're not going to get anything coming back in the other direction. And you look around their squad and I don't see lots of players that they can move on for extraordinary prices in order to... Um, to, to fund this but Dino thinking about how Barcelona have got into this situation one thing they have done is they haven't spent the money that they have earned from transfers like Neymar really well in terms of evolving the squad It's alright getting a, a decent transaction coming your way but then it's, that's realistically and, I, and, and, I, and I'm looking at like some of the some of the other bigger clubs in the world that have got like a like when, when Tottenham um, Tottenham I think sold was it uh, Gareth, Gareth Bale, Bale. Went there yeah, and then they spend that on about eight or possibly nine players. Um, you know, we're bringing them in, and and I'm just thinking, you know, that that's worth because a lot of them are still there, you know, and and, and still contributing. Where with this bit particular, you've got the like Felipe uh, Coutinho, then Bele, 
Luke de Jong, but I've got to stick up for him because I think he's done a really good job. Every time I've watched him, he's been really good. But they're carrying a lot of baggage as well. Like I think, you know, I know we talked off air about PK and, uh, you know, there was a particular in the game just recently, overnight, that basically, you know, Mbappe just went past him like he wasn't there. And and and, and most probably that's where that's where they need to start to, to bolster. You know, you always build a team on your defence. What else can Barcelona do, really, to get out of the situation, Edge? Well, uh, it's probably got to look at Lionel Messi, really. I mean, this is uh, what's been reported. Um, when he signed in the fall of 2017, that was the uh, in the aftermath of Neymar's departure, they re-signed Messi. Uh, the contract runs to 30 pages. Uh, the Spanish media suggests that um, he got a re-signing bonus of 139 million US dollars. He got a loyalty bonus of 93 million US dollars. And if he meets every clause and every condition, all the sort of bonuses that are structured, games played, goals scored, points, Barcelona gets, all that sort of stuff, it's it's 675 million US dollars. I mean, that's where you've got to start. That contract is completely ridiculous. And was it just because of the nature of the club that, you know, they just, the hubris and the desire to keep Messi at the club forever... Just, you know, did they leave their brains behind when they did this deal, Derek? Yeah, in brief, I mean, he is um, like, a, you know, the sole animal of the club. And I just don't think anyone there could envisage him going anywhere else. And as I said, he's been a gambit for all of those presidential elections at Barcelona. And you can't have a Well, he a, actually a endorses presidents, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, you can't have a presidential ticket without saying you're going to keep Messi or else there'd be a, you know, Catalonian revolution. Mm. Um, I think, just on some other final points, um, do you remember when they didn't take Spurs? Uh, shirt sponsorship for a couple of years but they're regretting that now aren't they <laughs> UNICEF and they, and, and they keep pushing back um, uh, uh, sponsorship for the stadium Camp Nou as well bet they're regretting that now I'm looking forward to seeing the the Nike Uber Eats a menu log Coca-Cola new camp for next season because I think that's what they're going to need to do so Barcelona in a world of pain and I, unless there's a European Super League age I can't see a way out of it no, no, um, it's Barcelona is in a world of pain. Not only that, the stadium's falling down. They've got uh, apparently 200 million euros to spend on the stadium because it's got uh, some engineering defects and uh, it's, some of it's in, you know, it's such a big construction that some of it's in some trouble. But that's uh, it for another Box to Box episode. Thanks, Willem. Thank you, Michael and Jets. Thank you, Derek, for stepping in for Rob, doing a fine job. I don't think Rob will get, off, get, a, get a game next week. Oh, I hope so. I hope I hope Rob's back in fighting fit next week, but it was nice we'll to do. see him. And of course to you, Dino, thank you very much for joining us uh, throughout the, the program. Yep, well done, boys. Very good, boys. Well done. And uh, join us next week when we'll go from one end of the pitch to the other on Box to Box.